0: If you will, uh, turn in your Bible to John chapter 6, and uh, as you go, I'm going to open us up in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for this morning, God, in this church. God, we thank you that you are uh, here in our midst, Lord. Father, you, you dwell inside of us, oh God, and Lord, we, we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to obey your command to gather together and, and worship together. And Lord we just pray right now for your help God. We we need your help God to receive the word of God. And so Lord we just we just pray that you would focus our minds and our hearts Lord that you would uh God, set our hearts to receive this word God and and your word says that that uh the the word of God can can fall on different types of hearts Lord. And we pray right now God that you would make us hearts that are fertile and receptive to your word. And God, we thank you that your, that your spirit is here to illuminate it, to, to make the word, uh, understandable to us and, and help us to get it on the inside of us and change us, Lord. And so we just ask that you would do that right now, that you would build your church with the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So over the past few weeks, Pastor Sam's been preaching to us about living like Jesus. What a, what a great topic. What a great way to start the new year. And our key scripture in this series has been Galatians 2.20. And Galatians 2.20 says this, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And as we focus on Jesus on Sunday mornings, we're asking and encouraging our church family to do a couple of things outside of church. Uh, Some things to kind of keep us unified as we move forward uh, in this series and throughout the year. Number one is we're encouraging everyone to be reading the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel witness accounts of Jesus' life. And, uh, you know, personally, I've been spending my devotional time in, in the gospel of John, and I want to tell you, it's been so awesome and enriching, and, uh, you're gonna get some of that today, what, what I've been seeing in John. Uh, the second thing we're encouraging everybody to do is to pray. How many of you guys know that, that just reading the Word of God isn't enough? We need to be a people who are moved and motivated by the word of God to pray. And, and you know, sometimes we think, man, I don't even know what to pray. Well, I want to tell you, pray the word of God. Take what you read and, and, and take it, take, take, pick up your Bible. I do this all the time and just pray what you read. Because you know what? When, when you pray what's in the Bible, you know that you are praying God's will and there's power in that. And we can have faith in that. So be a church who prays. Uh, Number three is come. We need you here. We are a body, you know, and, and a body doesn't work right if pieces are missing. Right? We need every part of the body. And God has placed you here for a reason. You are here not just to fill up a seat. You're not here by circumstance. You are here for a reason and we need you. And so, uh, you know, on Sunday mornings and, you know, we're about to start life groups again. I love life groups. You know, we, we come together and we have a meal together and then we learn some things about the Lord and we break up into small groups. And you know what happens in small groups is, is that you have an opportunity to minister it's a time where the body can come together and we can begin to operate in our spiritual giftings towards one another. And uh you know some of you that may make you nervous, but listen, we need what you have to offer. You're here for a reason. So please be at life groups, come. And then the last thing is care. You know, we need to be a people who care about one another. You know, Jesus said that the world would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. And, and so, you know, we need to be a people who come together and not only I encourage you, but you encourage me. And we encourage one another in the fight of faith. Uh, you know, Christianity was never meant to be a solo ride, it was always meant to be in community. And, uh, you know, in, in some areas we do good about that, but I believe that there's a lot of areas where we really need to up the bar in being a community and a family of faith where we encourage one another and hold one another accountable. So that's four things that we're asking uh, you guys to do as a church. So today we're going to continue our series on living like Jesus and, and, you know, I kind of started, you know, me and Jim and uh, Beverly, we were all kind of talking about, uh, you know, Pastor Sam is unprecedentedly, unprecedentedly going to be gone for three Sundays in a row. That's never happened before, and it just kind of happened this year uh, with some commitments that he made and some people asking him for certain things in March uh, to help with. So we've kind of been talking about, uh what we're going to talk about and and I thought I had my topic picked out a couple of weeks ago and then it changed and uh you know it's it's interesting you know my my favorite book of the bible is always the book of the bible that I'm reading right now and my favorite chapter in the bible is always the chapter in the bible that I'm reading right now and every time uh I would read something I thought, that's what the church needs and and so it's kind of been morphing but this is where I landed Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the power and the means by which we come to Jesus and remain in Jesus. Because how many of you know that you can't live like Jesus unless you first come to him in faith? And you can't live like Jesus unless you remain in him, right? Uh, In the parable of of the vine, uh, Jesus said, remain in me and I will remain in you. And he said, when you remain in me like a vine remains in the tree, then you will produce fruit, right? What happens to the vine when it's severed from the tree? It dies. And it's the same thing with us. If we are not plugged into the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter if 15 or 20 years ago you walked up to the front of the church And said some prayer. You have to remain in him. We have to abide in him. And so this is very important to who we are as the people of God. So I'm going to kind of summarize chapter 6. It's a long chapter. It's a really long chapter. And uh, so I'm going to kind of summarize it up to verse 60 where uh, we're going to read today. So, John chapter 6, at the beginning of the chapter, it begins with very large crowds beginning to follow Jesus in the northern region of Israel called Galilee. Okay, That's where Jesus Jesus primarily did his ministry in two spots, in the northern region of Israel called Galilee and down in Jerusalem. So this was when he was up in the north and large crowds began to follow him. In fact, over 5,000 people followed Jesus into a remote location in John chapter 6. So rather than sending the people away hungry after teaching them for hours and hours and hours, Jesus miraculously multiplies five loaves of bread and two fish to feed over 5,000 people. Now, the multitude... It says, they ate all they wanted, and the disciples even picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. So this was just a a huge miracle. But Jesus shows us in the rest of John chapter 6 that as awesome as it is that he has power And control over the laws of nature and the laws of physics, where he can do something like this, as awesome as that is, that was not the point of why he did this miracle. The whole purpose of the miracle of feeding the 5,000 was to show the people that Jesus is the bread from heaven, that he is the bread from heaven. Now, what does that mean? You guys ever been really hungry? I remember when when me and Laura went on our honeymoon, we, we uh we had a long flight and then we we had to take a taxi to the place where we were staying. It was like this all-inclusive resort place where you just kind of walk into the restaurants and and uh there was just a long lapse. We didn't get to eat lunch, and and we got there and we were looking for food and we just kind of walked into this little taco place and and they were the best tacos we've ever had and and we talk about it sometimes and we're like you know i wonder if us being really 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 hungry had anything to do with those tacos being so good and i got to imagine it did but you know when you're when you're really hungry warm bread good bread satisfies in such a unique and good way So Jesus is the same way, except for our souls. He's saying, I want to satisfy you in your soul, like bread satisfies your hunger. So the miracle wasn't the point, but rather it pointed to Jesus as the bread of life. But the people, if you read it, I encourage you all to go back and read this. The people totally missed the point. They could not get it. Uh, in fact, they were only focused on the fact that Jesus had the ability to supernaturally, supernaturally fill their bellies. That's what they kept coming back to again and again. They were so impressed with the physical miracle that they actually tried to make him their king. They tried to coronate him as king. They're thinking, uh, you know, man this guy's got power. We need to make him king over us and maybe he can deliver us from these Roman oppressors who were under. And so they were ready to make him king right there. And the people's hearts were so far from Jesus' intentions that he left them and he hid in the mountains. And the next day, he secretly crossed over the Sea of Galilee into Capernaum. Now listen, listen, just a quick aside. We don't want to be that kind of people. We don't want to be people who so miss the intentions of Jesus that he says, you know what? I'm just going to step away from these people right now because they, they, they just, they're missing it. We want to be a people who are about the purposes of God. Amen. Lord, do that in Jesus' name. They searched for Jesus, and the next day they found him in the synagogue in Capernaum. So this big crowd, they kind of got together in the morning, and they're like, "Where's Jesus?" And and they figured, "Oh, he must have gone. He must have gone to the nearest town. Let's go look there." So they go, and they found they find him, and and listen to how Jesus addresses them in, in John chapter six, verse twenty six. We'll read a couple of verses as we summarize. says says, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So the crowd responds to this, you know, Jesus saying, Hey, y'all aren't getting it. Don't worry about food so much. Think about eternal things. And the crowd responds that Jesus must show them a miraculous sign like Moses did by providing manna for Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. They're saying, Hey, you know, Jesus, what you did yesterday was pretty cool. But Moses. Gave Israel food for forty years. You know, can you do that, Jesus? Jesus declared to this, almost ignores their request. uh, He says that God was offering them true bread from heaven that gives life. And when the people asked for that bread, this is what Jesus said, verse thirty-five. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus was telling them this. He was saying, stop focusing on earthly bread. The miracle where I multiplied the bread was not about physical bread. It was about me, talking to Jesus. I'm I'm, I'm first person in Jesus. It was about me, the true bread that satisfies and gives life. So you see, the crowd was so consumed by their physical circumstance of needing food that they failed to see that Jesus was offering himself as the bread of life. What does it mean? that Jesus is the bread of life. It means that when we come to him, he will satisfy our souls like warm bread when we are hungry or cold drink when we are thirsty. Jesus was saying that only he can satisfy the deep hunger and thirst inside of our souls. Now, listen, we try to fill that thirst with a lot of things, right? There's... there's all kinds of things under the sun that we can try to feel that thirst, that soul thirst inside of us. And you know, most of those things have their place. But I want to tell you something, only Jesus can feel and quench the thirst and the hunger that we have in our soul. Only Him. And we can turn to uh TV and, you know, stuff on the Internet. We can turn to our jobs. We can pour our life into making money. We can try to find our satisfaction in our spouse or in our kids or in, in all kinds of places. But all of those things will satisfy for a moment and then disappoint And leave you hungry and thirsty. Because the only person, the only thing that can satisfy the deepest part of us is Jesus. And so we have to be constantly putting him at the center. Putting him in the middle. How many of you know that if the sun suddenly disappeared, all the planets would no longer have the gravitational force that keeps them in their proper rotation? And when we put Jesus at the center, all these things begin to find their proper place around him, okay? But when we put other things at the center, things get out of whack. So he's got to be at the center, This deep satisfaction in Jesus happens when we receive and believe and trust in and treasure Jesus above all the things of the world. Do you do that? Do we do that as a people? We got to be fighting to put him at the top. That is what it means to believe in Jesus and inherit eternal life. It is receiving him, not the things of this world, as the satisfaction of our soul. It is receiving him as the bread of life. Now, this statement that Jesus makes, it begins to divide the crowd, right? And um, because, and, and here's the reason, many of them grew up knowing Jesus, This is the area where he was born and he grew up, and a lot of them knew him, right? And, you know, without supernatural revelation from the Holy Spirit, how many of you know that if one of your childhood buddies started saying, hey, I'm the Messiah, you know, that might raise some questions for you, rightly so. So they begin to kind of divide, and and some of them, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are believing in Jesus, and some of them are not. Then Jesus does, you know, if you read the Gospels, it's interesting. Jesus often uh, seems to go out of his way to be controversial and to push people to, like C.S. Lewis says, make a decision. This guy is either crazy or he is the son of God. And that's what Jesus, you know, you can't take Jesus as just a good man. You can't take him as as just some great teacher or prophet. He's either crazy or he is the son of God. And each and every one of us has that decision to make this morning. As we read his word, will you take him as a lunatic? Or will you take him as the son of God? So the crowd was divided. And to further divide the crowd, Jesus said this, he said, oh, by the way, if you want to partake of me, if you want to believe in me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, to the unbelieving, to the unseeing, that is a very controversial statement. It sounds like cannibalism. Of course, we know that he was talking about his payment for our sins on the cross, but the crowds made up of mostly unbelievers did not understand. Jesus was telling them that they must rest in and receive the payment of his flesh and blood to be reconciled to God and deliver them from the power and the penalty of sin. That's what he was referring to. He was referring to his death on the cross that must be trusted in in order to be saved. And that's how we eat his flesh and drink his blood. It's not a physical atrocious thing like, like most of them thought. It's how he is the bread of heaven. When we, when we come and we receive him, the sacrifice of his flesh and blood covers our sin, right? Right? And his righteousness is given to us as if it were our own. And that's how we partake of him, as the bread. We believe, we receive, we trust in, we treasure his sacrifice on the cross. We rest in that. And so we eat and drink of his flesh and blood. So that's all summary. And now we're going to read uh, the the key passage, the key text today. So let's read John chapter 6, verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe. And he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Now in this text are huge implications about how unbelieving people come to faith in Jesus, and also there are huge implications about how God chooses to use us, the church, in bringing people to himself. And if you're tempted to think, that you can check out because this is just a message for unbelievers, then you should know that it also has huge implications on how God sanctifies our souls and keeps us in the faith. In this text is the core of where faith in Jesus comes from and the core of how faith in Jesus is sustained and strengthened in our lives. So let's look intently at this text and see what God will teach us today. You ready for that? Let's see what the Lord has to say through his word. In verse 65, we're going to kind of take it in pieces. In verse 65, Jesus makes the statement, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. Now, the reason that he says this points to two the two other major points that I want to make this morning. But right now, we're going to kind of focus on this one, and then we'll go back and get the rest of the verse. So I got three main points this morning. The first one's going to take us the longest, so don't get squirmy in your seat. Uh, Jesus alludes in this statement that he said this before. So we need to be asking, as good Bible-reading people, where. Did Jesus say this before? So let's look back. Let's turn back to verse 35. And we've already read the verse 35, but we're going to read a little bit more. John 6, 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me. Even though you have seen me, here he goes, who however those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will, and this is the will of God that I should not that wait hold, on. that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. So here's Jesus' statement that we read earlier, that he is the bread of life. Sadly, many of the people had seen the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and we're hearing the preaching of the gospel by Jesus himself, but they're not believing. And you know, it's kind of crazy and unfathomable to me that that these people are standing and they're looking at Jesus. And I don't believe. He was there. He was standing right there in front of them. But you know, it's only by power of the, of the Holy Spirit that we believe, even today, right? But it's just crazy to me that he was just right there in front of them. Jesus is telling them that if they will receive him as their bread of life, then they will have eternal life. And it's in this conflict between the Son of God offering himself in person as salvation to the people and them not believing that Jesus makes this statement. That's the context, and he makes this statement. However, this is verse 37, However, those the Father has given me will come to me. And again, in verse 39, he says, And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but I should raise them up, at the last day. Now, when I was preparing this, I just had to put in a little parenthesis. So let's let's pause the message for a second and, and let's put in a parenthesis, okay? So open parenthesis. If you are a born-again believer, you are secure in Jesus Christ. No one, the Bible says, can snatch you out of his hand. In his sovereign saving power, Jesus will not lose one person who comes to him in faith. In fact, he is so omnipotent that even though our bodies, when we die, will rot in a grave. How many of you know the death rate of human beings is 100%, Right. And so everybody dies, and even though there's believers who hundreds and thousands of years ago, their bodies are long gone, even though that happens to all believers, he won't even lose our dead, decayed bodies. Do you know why? Because at the end of the age, when he returns, he will raise up our bodies. He will glorify Our bodies. They won't be the same as they are right now. The Bible says that we will have a body like Him after His resurrection a a new and a restored and a glorified body that doesn't die but lasts forever. Jesus will not lose one person or one part of any person that the Father gives to him in faith, close parentheses. Now let's look at the other place that Jesus mentions God uh, giving people to him. Let's go to verse 43. But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. Sounds familiar, right? As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. So here it is again. And in this context, the people are complaining because Jesus has just declared that he is the bread that came down from heaven. And they're complaining about that. And Jesus is telling them, quote, You need to stop relying on the human reasoning that you know my parents, and therefore I cannot be from heaven. He's saying human reasoning does not produce the faith in me you need to be saved. Only the drawing of the Father produces that. In these two passages, along with our key text, Jesus says the same thing three times. And how many of you know, when the Bible repeats itself, especially when Jesus repeats himself, we need to pay attention. Amen? So that's point number one. All that time for point number one uh, is this. We come to Jesus and remain in him only by the drawing of the Father. But how many of you know there's there's a lot more going on than that, right? So let's let's keep going. How does it happen? Let's go back to verse sixty three. John six sixty three. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Here Jesus gives us our next key point. People only come to Jesus in faith and remain in him by the drawing of the Father. That's point number one, right? But the agent actively giving eternal life is the Holy Spirit. Put simply, point number two, the Holy Spirit is the active giver of eternal life and the active sustainer of our faith. Jesus tells us that though it is the Father who draws us to faith, it is the Spirit who gives eternal life. He is the one who changes our hearts in the new birth from hearts that love sin and think that the church and God are boring to hearts that love God and hate sin, and love to obey God's commandments. And we're all on a journey in that, right? We struggle in that, but that's what the Spirit does in us in the new birth. That's why the Apostle Paul said that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. We are different. We are changed if we have truly come to the Lord Jesus now, John chapter 3, if you want to flip over there, is Jesus' famous teaching to Nicodemus about the necessity to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. Now, let's look at what Jesus says regarding the Spirit's role in the new birth. John 3, 5, Jesus replied, I assure you, No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So you see, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to come into our lost hearts and radically change us into a new person When we are united to Jesus by faith. But His role in our lives is only the beginning when we're born again. How many of you know that God's not done with you when you're born again? He's just getting started. He's just getting started. So turn over with me real quick to John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. And later, he will be in you. It's not a coincidence that Jesus follows the statement that if we love him, we will keep his commandments with the assurance that he is sending the Holy Spirit. That's not a coincidence. God puts words in the Bible in the structure and order that they're in there for a reason and a purpose. The Holy Spirit is the means by which Jesus keeps his promise to be with us always. For every believer, the Spirit lives inside of us and gives us both the desire and the ability to obey and submit to God. Did you know that without the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives, in our lives, we would have no ability no ability to overcome sin in the flesh in our lives. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can stand in righteousness, that we can be made holy from glory to glory to glory in this life. God did not create, a, did not create in us the new birth and leave us, He is active inside of us, keeping us in the faith. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we were born again, but it is also only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have woken up each day since then still believing in Jesus. It's by his power. It is not by our will. It's by his power. Now let's go back to John 63, 6.63 for the last point. Let's read it. The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Now here it is. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Let's recap the first two points before we state the third. We come to Jesus and remain in him only by the drawing of the Father. The Spirit is the active giver of eternal life and sustainer of our faith. And this last sentence of verse 63 gives us the means that the Spirit uses to bring us to faith and keep us in the faith. It is the Word of God specifically the word of Jesus. So our third main point today is this. The means that the Spirit uses to bring us to faith and keep us in the faith is the word of God, specifically the word, Jesus Christ. And I want you to look, again, God puts these words in the text in structure and order on purpose. So let's, let's kind of look at the flow here. At the end of the paragraph, Jesus explains that many of the crowd do not believe in him because they can only come to him if the Father draws them. This statement supports his statement in the first half of verse 63, in which he addresses the complaining of his, of his disciples by saying that their human effort to understand him as the bread of life is pointless because it is the Spirit who gives eternal life. So he's telling them that in order to have faith in him as the bread of life and be saved, they need the power of the Holy Spirit who gives eternal life. Y'all jiving with me here? Then he makes this amazing point. Having said all that, he says, and the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, this is how faith and salvation works itself out in the physical world. And because this is the way that it works itself out in the physical world, it has extreme importance to us, the church, who minister and operate here in the physical world, right? We operate here on earth, right? We are not in the spirit. We are not in heaven. We are here in the physical and the now. So it has huge implications to us. Both the drawing of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit are spiritual in nature. The physical means of both initiating and sustaining faith is the hearing of the word, especially the word of Jesus. And just to clarify so that we don't think, well, well, I just need to read the Gospels and then I'm good. You know, just to clarify that that is not the case, John 1, 1 tells us this, that Jesus is the word. So it's not just the red. Jesus is the word. So when he says, my word is spirit and life, he's not just talking about the quotation marks that are in red. He's talking about all of the word of God. Spirit and life. The Apostle Peter can teach us a lot about this if we continue to read the verses right after this passage. So let's let's pick up in verse 66 here and see what Peter has to say. It says, At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Only Jesus has the words that give eternal life. He's the only way. And, you know, in, in a pluralistic world that we live in today, you know, you could be called a, a bigot or you could be called a hater for saying that there's only one way. But we as the church have to stand up in this culture that we live in and say, only Jesus only Jesus has the words that give eternal life. Only him. There is eternal life power in the words of Jesus. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to paint two pictures for you real quick. Uh, first, we're going to look at, in, in the context of this ver- these, these verses, uh, how God works in the life of an unbeliever, and how god works in us who have been who have believed first the conversion of the un, of the unbeliever the person is lost in sin but the father draws them from darkness to light either the unbeliever reads the words of jesus or a christian speaks the word of jesus to them the holy spirit then radically changes that person's heart from unbelieving to believing in the words of Jesus. And the unbeliever is then united to Christ by faith. Now let's look at the believer. Let's look at how God uses this process to keep us in the faith, to to get us living like Jesus. We are born again, believing and saved Christians with the promise that Jesus will keep us in the faith. However, we are still inclined to all kinds of sinning and loving of other things instead of loving God most. Can you testify to that? Struggle is real. At times, our hearts wander from God, but the Father draws us back to himself. You know, sometimes I think, how did I get where I am? Gosh. (laughs) You know, everything didn't go right for me. And sometimes I think, how did I get here? It's God, He's faithful. It's just him. I'm not here. You're not here because we figured it out or because we're so good. God drew us. It's him. So God draws us back to Jesus. We read or hear the words of Jesus. The Spirit leads us into all truth. Fanning the flames of our faith and keeping us in the faith. That's how he does it in us. The common denominator is that we, the church, must make it our primary business both to consume and proclaim the word of Jesus. Because his word is spirit and life. The implication in our evangelism is that if we will simply be faithful to proclaim the gospel, God will save unbelievers by draw, by his drawing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, to be a successful evangelist, you don't have to be extremely intelligent. You don't have to be some super speaker or or someone who can explain why creation is true and evolution is not, listen, we got to get past all that. We've got to be a people who trust God and speak the simple gospel that God is calling people to turn from their sin to him by faith in Jesus Christ and trust in the supernatural drawing of the Father and the supernatural changing of the Holy Spirit. The implication for our walk with God is that if we will be faithful to consume the word of Jesus, God will draw us and the Spirit will keep us in the faith. So there is great power in the word of Jesus. And if we are ever going to live like Jesus, we have to be faithful to his word. So my closing exhortation to you today is to look to Jesus. Look to him as the light of the world. Look to him as the living water. Look to him as the bread of life. Look to him as the gate to salvation. Look to him as the good shepherd. Look to him as the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to God. Look to him as the resurrection and the life. Look to him. Be busy about being in God's word. All of which is the word of Jesus. But especially about going to the Gospels again and again and again because the words of Jesus are spirit and life. It's time to go. If you would like some resources that I use that are proven in my life, come talk to me after church. I was going to say it here, but I'm out of time. So let's pray. You guys can stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, we we love you and we praise you, God. We, We thank you, God, that you are calling us, your people, to live like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would look to your word, God, and we wouldn't look to ourselves, that we wouldn't look to the things of this world, the treasures of this world, God, but that we would look to Jesus in the word of God. Father, we thank you that you have given us in your word everything that we need to to sustain our souls, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have given us all that we need to live a rich and abundant life. Lord, I pray that you would destroy in our hearts the lie of the enemy, that if we just had more of this world, then we would have fullness of life. But God, I pray that each and every person in this place would be content with where they are, with where we are, God, and and, and look to Jesus. Look to Jesus for fullness of life. God, we thank you that your word is spirit in life, Lord. And and Father, we just believe and trust in you today to conform your people into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, listen, before we go, before we go, real quick, two minutes. There may be somebody here. And and you may be at the crossroads of saying, Man, I don't I don't think the Spirit's ever done that in me. I don't I don't think I've ever been born again. Let's go back to the choice that he's offering us today. We see Jesus before us saying, I am the bread of heaven, I am the bread of life. And today you have a choice. You can either say that guy doesn't know what he's talking about, or he is the Son of God. And I just, I just pray that if that's you today, let's, let's pray. I pray that if that's you today that, that you would trust in and believe in Jesus. Just right now. Say yes, Lord. Say yes, Lord. Because this is the gospel that though we were born in sin and the wrath of God is against us and we deserve to be punished forever, Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for you. He died on the cross in your place, the perfect Lamb of God, taking upon Himself the punishment for our sins. And if we will believe and trust in Him, turning from our sin and turning to God by faith in Him, we will be saved. Say yes to Him today. Lord, we love You and we praise You. We thank You, Lord, that You are saving now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.